to The Running Public with Bracken Crocker and Kirk DeWint. It's Tuesday, folks, and you know what that means. Training Tuesday. We are going to take every rabbit hole, follow tangents, use useless metaphors, get lost in the weeds. This is Training Tuesday. Kirk, you're getting me at reduced capacity today. No, you you look great. You're feeling great, I bet. How do my eyes look? Are they watery? Like you've been smoking dope. Yep. Well, unfortunately, that's not the cause. What happened? I don't know if that's an unfortunately. I don't know. I just got sick. I rarely get sick. I've talked about here on here before that when kids get sick, I'm the I'm the demilitarized zone. I'll sleep with the child throughout the night, keep them separated from the rest of the kids so that they're not coughing them or throwing them up awake the whole time. And Lisa doesn't get sick because historically I get sick less than Lisa. So we trust my immune system in these situations and I buckled. I am now sick. Aren't you sick of having the sick conversation with everybody? Like... And yeah. I don't mean like I actually don't want to have the conversation. It's just like everybody seems to get something this time of year. I'm sure you've had the conversation with athletes time and time again these last month and a half or two. So you're finally due is what I'm hearing. I feel cliche for even getting sick at this point because everyone's doing it. I feel like I'm late to the the cool party. I'd rather have just skipped it in the first place. It's not a cool party. It's It's a party for losers, unfortunately. Well, and I'm no good at it. I can't even tell you how sick I am because I feel really sick, but I have no basis for that. <laughs> like if you ask me how bad did that workout hurt, I've done enough workouts. I can tell you how bad it hurts. I don't know how bad this is on a scale of one to someone else's bad sickness. I just know I feel poopy and pity mm. party. Do you need a hug? Do you want me to hug you? Would that help? I don't think you should. Yeah, I probably shouldn't. Men are babies. I'm a giant baby yeah. when I'm sick. Jess handles things like a boss. Like she'll be a little mopey, whatever, but like she could be like on death's door and she gets stuff done and barely complains. And then I get a sniffle and I'll be honest, I've noticed the theme amongst men. We can't handle being sick like our counterparts can. I don't think we can. No, no, we're no good at that. That At least I'm speaking through my lens. Yeah. So did you, um, did you modify any of your training or what are you going to do that way? Well, I wasn't able to work out at all. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I decided I was going to shake myself loose because sometimes that works. And I did a high rocks workout and it just moved it right to my lungs. <laughs> That's what it felt like it did. <laughs> I got done and I thought, I think that was a bad choice. So either it was going to progress there already, or I just hasten the process, but now I'm worse for having done it. Yeah. It's a fine line, man. Isn't it? When you're sick and trying to come out of it, like a nice, yeah. easy 30 minute run might bring you back to life, but you tip a little too hard, let your heart rate get a little too high and it doubles down on you. And then you're like three days back again. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but there is one good news for the listeners. One piece of good news, which is that uh, since I was doing nothing, uh, I spent a lot of time revamping the website. So by the time this episode goes up, there will be a new look on the website. We're in the process of making a new, better website in collaboration with someone who knows what they're doing. But in the meantime, this is our stopgap. Uh, it'll look different. The uh, It'll be a little cleaner, run a little smoother. Um, and finally, now up on the website is the official announcement that night school is coming. Woo! So... Starting, you're at, we can't even do drum rolls anymore at these nice microphones, but um, starting March 20th, 
Night School kicks up on Wednesdays. Our first session, one Wednesday per week for four straight weeks, live Zoom lectures with an open forum afterwards. It's going to be all about the craze that is sweeping the running world right now, which is threshold training. All the pros are doing it. All the pro camps are experimenting with it, and this will be your continuing education for how to implement, understand, use, talk about, and be fluent with everything you need to know about threshold training. So it's a one-month-long course. It's an incredible value for your money. It's $99, and it's going to be a – if Training Tuesday is a deep dive, then this is going to be uh, a doped-up Training Tuesday for one month straight. Well, nobody should dope up, but – this sounds like a sweet program. I don't know if I'm going to be involved yet or not, but um, Bracken, secretly speaking from the other side, this has been Bracken's like brainchild slash baby for like months. Bracken's wanted to launch night school, teach at even a deeper level the things that we talk about on this podcast. And I've sort of been the sock in the tailpipe, kind of dragging my feet with it, you know, having other things going on, putting my energy into other stuff. And you've just been so patient waiting to be able to do this. And so I actually think this is like secretly like you need to support Bracken on this because he's put a lot of emotional and time <laughs> energy into this. I'm being serious. You've been ta- how long have you been talking about night school? And I've been the one like not I haven't pushed you out the door. I've sort of like kept you inside here for a little while. So like I'm just happy that um we're launching it and whether I'll be involved with this first one or not I don't know, but like I just want to give credit where credit is due and Bracken's put a lot of thought into this. That's all. Well, last year on New Year's Eve, I did an episode with um, with I Am a Spartan podcast. Um, and and I, I don't believe – it's one of those like end-of-year recaps and Scott's on there and it asks us all to do a uh, what a resolution or something we're trying to do uh, for ourselves and then for our business. And for the business, I said, this is the year we are going to launch night school. I'm excited about this. And that was 13 months ago. <laughs> so – this weekend, I finally called you. I said, I, "I'm just, I'm just, we're just gonna do this, Kirk. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I rarely demand anything, but can I just do this? And can we see where this goes?" And you were like, "Of course." Duh. But it's the teacher in me. I, I like being in a classroom. I like delivering information, and I like people expanding their knowledge. So I cannot wait to get back in that forum again. So, and there's going to be other subjects down the pipeline, right? But it's taking like one major component. I mean, he's, we're focusing solely on threshold training for this one. And the next one could be as simple as like up and downhill running on the trails and then just split the crap out of it. OCR compromise running, like the exact what's wise, how's things, how to implement to your training. Like it's just going to be simple, one straightforward topic and threshold is applicable to you no matter what your pursuit is. If you're a hybrid athlete, great. Guess what? Most of what you're doing is in threshold. If you're an ultra runner or a 5k, like this all applies. So it's a great like umbrella topic, I think to help absolutely everybody. And that's why we're opening with it. Yeah. And it's for not just athletes, self-coached athletes, but also coaches themselves. I'm not going to stand up here and say, I'm going to teach you everything you don't know. It's together. We're going to leave this all able to converse fluently about threshold training. And there's so many different terms to get thrown around, anaerobic threshold, lactate threshold, uh, MSP, or uh, let's see, what else do we have out here? Um, MLASS or uh, sweet spot training, or, you know, there's just so many versions of this 
that half the time when someone says something, even I pause and think, now what exactly are they referring to? And can I Mm -hmm. talk about this fluently or not? So week one is going to be getting all the information down, what it is, why it matters, what all the terms really mean, and how to make sure that we can be on the same page when we talk about it. Week two, breaking down how are the pros using this in the perfect world, which they all have. How is this implemented at the highest level? Week three is how do I now translate this to mortals, threshold training for mortals. And then week four is, okay, I get it all. Now can I create with it? How do we create our own personalized plans for ourselves or our athletes, our uh, high school, middle school, college athletes, whatever you're doing, how this all works. So this is a full exploration to make sure that we're all fluent on the topic. Yeah. Go to the website. You'll see the night school offering. You'll click on that. Um, that's where you can purchase. And then if you can't make the sessions, it'd be four weeks in a row in the evening. Like those will be recorded for you to view on like your own time as well. The only difference is if I'm there or not, yes. I don't know yet, but you won't be able to in the, in the actual class or lesson, you'll be able to interact with us answer we'll answer questions at the end of the lecture. If you miss the actual time slot, then you just won't have an opportunity to ask questions, but you'll have all the content. So don't worry about schedule. Don't let that be a roadblock for you. This is like take home homework then if you can't look at Bracken's pretty face and maybe mine in real time. Correct. All all uh, lectures will be recorded and sent out immediately afterwards. So even if you can only stay for the lecture part and you've got to bail before the Q&A or you get your question in and then you've got to leave, you're not going to miss any information no matter what. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Our Q and our our consults start at eighty dollars an hour, and go up from there. This is ninety nine dollars for four sessions. It's 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 kind of a no brainer if this is a topic that interests you. Giving it away, we're giving it away. Um, and then what is the schedule? Have you decided on what night and what time yet? Each week. Yeah, we're gonna go with Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights seem to be the night where the least amount of youth sport leagues are happening. So that the most amount of people have the the highest probability of making it. You don't have to worry about as much of getting kids. I mean, everyone's got to get their kids places if you have kids and there's never a great night. But Wednesday nights, it's going to be at 6 p.m. Uh, Central, 7 Eastern, 4 p.m. West Coast time. And it'll be roughly 40 minutes of lecture and then kind of an open-ended time cap on the back end of how long do I need to stick around to make sure that people leave that session comprehensively understanding what we're trying to 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 get into your minds on those days. So that's what's happening. I love it. And again, thank you, Bracken, for taking an initiative on that. We've kind of been attacking this thing at all angles, and that was one of the things that we had in the chamber. So um, all right. So go to the website, check it out. You'll probably hear more about this in the next coming weeks. We're going to remind you. So we can leave it there. Um, let's talk about breakthroughs. And let's talk about some athletes of ours that had some breakthroughs this weekend. And then Let's preach the good word of breakthroughs. When, how, why, do you expect them? Do you not? Can you predict them? Can you not? What leads to a breakthrough? All of that. But um, we have a little athlete shout outs that I just feel we do a poor job of uh, bragging about them. And we had a few good ones this weekend. So do you want to kick us off? You want me to kick us off? Yeah, well, I'll start off. I'm I'm going to highlight one of the athletes I work with. Uh, he doesn't come up on here very often, as most of the athletes I work with don't. Uh, simply because it's not something that we've ever made it a purpose to put them out there into the universe, but he put himself into the universe this weekend. Andy Boudreaux went down to the Spartan Race Jacksonville National Series kickoff and competed in the age group national series and 
took first place overall, number one overall age group athlete. And it was a close-ish race, but did it with composure, did it feeling within himself, and did it while prepping for uh, six weeks from now an ultra. So this is a man who was able to come off off off-season of training, again, a high level of threshold and sub-threshold work that we've been doing, gearing up for the rest of the season and what's to come. And we took three weeks to start dabbling in some obstacle work. The rest of the off-season did not look like OCR training. This was mountain training. Sharpened up just slightly, and then the man went down there and just took care of business and executed on a very nasty course. A lot of failures out there, I heard. Mud up to knees, real gross conditions, everything you hope for in Jacksonville. Yeah. So Andy Boudreaux, congratulations. I'm very proud of the work you put Mm -hmm. in. So was this a breakthrough? Was this a breakthrough for him, do you think? 100%. He's an athlete who's shown flashes. He's done well in Jacksonville in the past compared to the rest of his series. Uh, It stood out as an outlier in his series, but never to this level. So being being the one 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 in age group was was a first for him, and it came off an off season where we nailed nothing except execution. Like we didn't shoot for the stars, we didn't shoot for the moon. We shot for consistency and execution, and he did it. And so it was one of those breakthroughs, just like what you talked about with me prior to coming on here, that you have a, an inkling it might be coming, but there's no like, things are going outrageously well. This is happening this week. And it was, I'm not going to be shocked. And I think this, the statement I made to him prior was, listen, you're going to do well. There's no pressure on you going down there. If you come back and say, listen, I felt stagnant. Yeah, I get it. But if you come back and like, hey, man, I won. Like, yeah, that sounds about right. And that was exactly how we felt going into this thing. Yeah. It would have been nice to see the coverage. It's supposed to come out a little behind, I believe. They had some like, yeah. trans, I don't know, some issues with the technology. But um, that's a big deal. And I had an athlete. Um, so one of the athletes I coach, and she was a former guest on this podcast, Darla O'Connor. Um, she won her age group. Uh, she's, this, she's three times in a row U.S. National Series champ in her age group. So no surprise. She went down to Jacksonville, took care of business. But she said how much fun she had. And I'm part guilty to like how easy it is to bag on like some of the decisions made, I would say, in the Spartan sphere. But every time I go race, you leave and it's like so much fun. It's invigorating. You go right back to drinking the Kool-Aid because it's really an experience. And Darla sort of explained that to me. Like it was just so much fun to get immersed again. I kind of forget about that. So I got to be a little less grumpy about, about the product. You know what I'm saying? Their product is never their issue. It's fantastic. Yeah. We love their product. So speaking of breakthroughs, I had two breakthroughs of athletes of mine. And I had a number of, I think I had like 16 athletes racing this weekend. And so there's a lot. And if I leave you off this, we'll get you next time around. But um, on the women's pro side in Jacksonville, two of the top 10 ladies were athletes of mine uh, that I've been working with for a while. Uh, Jordan Hosladen took eighth place. And then the big surprise is Hannah Franciosa took second place in the pro women's in Jacksonville. Um, and she's just off of a backyard ultra where she went 68 miles like a month ago. And when you talk about a breakthrough, that's a big performance. 68 miles is a big effort, no matter how you split it up. And for her Hannah, I know you listen, you don't know we're talking about you today, but I know a lot of the field was overseas and I know the density isn't there. There's always going to be those comments, but 
Second place in a U.S. National Series pro women's race for her is absolutely a breakthrough. And she beat names of like Casey Monroe and Ashley Heller. She was just two minutes behind Annie Doobie, who I believe was the only clean race in the front end. I don't, I'm not exactly yeah, sure, but that's what I heard. Um, and we're going to, I think, I don't know if we're going to break down her breakthrough necessarily. We're going to talk about maybe how I think that happened. But a congratulations to Hannah. Unbelievable. A podium. I dreamed of that my whole Spartan career, landing on a U.S. National Series podium. And truth be told, her confidence is up and down. And she has hit or miss days, but what she always does is shows up. She always shows up. And I think that's a big part of breaking through. And then the other shout out, um, Augie Legling in his first high rocks down in Miami. Uh, first ever ran the, the men's open division and he took the overall win. Went 1-1-1 one, one, one across the board. Um, and I honestly think he's going to be pretty scary. We put it together. All we did was crammed for about six weeks, layered it on really good fitness, and the guy showed up and just put it together with room to improve. And so um, really big breakthrough. I think he'll be in the pro way pretty soon. I think he's got some real potential. So um, shout out to that breakthrough as well, which I would consider. Yeah, congrats to both of them. These yeah. big stages are so exciting to even travel to. And then when you get to get back on that plane – and just sit. This is my favorite part of an of a successful race weekend, Kirk. If if I'm traveling to it, is settling in on the plane and just glowing, just sinking into oh. the seat, have a snack and a beverage in front of me, and not even rushing to like write down my race recap or or start up a movie, but just kind of sitting there and basking in it for a moment. You're by yourself. It's okay if you gloat a little bit, but just like a smile of satisfaction sitting on the plane thinking about every interaction I have now is going to be someone saying, Hey, way to take care of business or great work. Or, I don't have to answer that. What happened or what went wrong? Or what do you think was the issue? Just sitting there knowing job was accomplished. I executed and I'm just going to bask in it on this flight home. Those, those situations are not guaranteed to ever be there again. They're few and far between for most of us. But it is the single most satisfying part of a race weekend for me. Your legs are kind of have that dull ache in them, right? Like the whole thing is satisfying. Oh, yeah. Like you got that underlying fatigue you can feel. You might have a few bruises on you, like, but like it does nothing matters. Like the satisfying fatigue is like just that you can let everybody know about your race and it's just like so fun to talk about and commiserate. It's just the best. I, I envision being in Hannah, uh, Hannah and her husband uh, both race in Jacksonville and her husband, Jared, who I also coach, won his age group in the age group division. And then she won. She took second in the pro division. And I'm trying to think about being on that plane on the way back or in that car ride on the way back with your wife or your husband just rocking hardware, you know, ball. And I just that's a it doesn't get much better than that, does it? No, it doesn't. And and we try not to get too egotistical about ourselves because we all know where we rank in the great universe of running and it's sure. not high. But our personal wins are so satisfying to just bask in. Whether that's an overall win or it's an age group win or it's a PR or breaking through mentally or not walking for the first time in a race. That moment you get to take with no one else watching you to just bask in it for a moment. That's the sweetest part of running to me. Mm. So... So then let's just let's talk about the breakthrough. And I think I want to start this conversation with you. Do you remember either your first what you would consider breakthrough in your racing career 
or maybe one that stands out to you, like one of your breakthroughs? Because usually there's levels to it, right? There'll be little breakthroughs and big breakthroughs. And yeah. You're first and many to come, hopefully. But to tell me, do you have anything that comes to mind? Well, I've I've had what I would consider on my level a breakthrough at each level of running. So in high school, I had a significant breakthrough. In college, I had a significant breakthrough. Post-collegiately, my first year competing, I had a pretty significant breakthrough. And then about four years later, I had another what I would consider a pretty significant breakthrough. And they were all almost identical in how they were built. And only one of them did I expect the breakthrough to happen. The other three, three of the four, I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. Where I knew I'd been taking care of business, but I didn't feel fundamentally different yet. Only on the fourth one did I feel fundamentally different. But for most of them, the buildup was exactly the same. And the feeling beforehand was the same, not total confident feeling, but just a little bit more calm. Hmm. So do you want to, can you describe like one in particular, like one specific? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll describe them all in the buildup, but they were when I committed to consistency, all four of them, the, what I had been doing skyrocketed, but not necessarily until the fourth. The fourth was a kind of a an aggressive jump up in volume and consistency and intensity. But the first three were just committing to daily work. Whenever I commit to daily work, that is the first step towards a breakthrough happening. And they were all multi-week builds. Like for most of them, I would say it was at least two months long, but but probably closer to three where I had at least nine to 10 weeks where I just sat in a repeatable, sustainable, not too sexy brand of training, but just hit similar styled workouts week in and week out and plugged along with consistency. Modulated efforts day to day to make sure I could still get out and work the next day. I didn't have a single hero workout in any of these builds until the fourth one, which probably was why I felt a little more confident in that one. But I didn't do anything crazy. I just built like 20, 25% more volume than I've been used to, but nothing crazy and just 9, 10, 11, 12 straight weeks of taking care of business. And then I'd show up to the race with a bit of calm and a bit of uncertainty, not knowing, is this really the way it's done? Showing up and thinking, is it really going to be any different? And all three times, I just kept waiting in the middle of the race for that usual experience to happen and eventually just accepted the fact that I think it's different today and then started to pour it on and had a breakthrough race. Um, I'm not hearing anything too, uh, too fancy or cute here. No. With like no. the approach. Like, you know what I did? I started taking green tea extract and then I was doing this crazy workout, like 25 by a thousand. And then I was like, you know, taking saunas every night and cold baths every morning. You didn't, you didn't say any of that stuff. Isn't that how you get better? No. No? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a way. <laughs> but uh, all three of these, when I look at it now, actually all four, probably if you could track my sleep hours from age 13 through now, these four instances were probably my highest average hours slept per 24-hour cycle. That would probably be the single biggest non-running factor that contributed to success. First one in high school, I made it a mission. I made it a game to try to see how early I could fall asleep each night. And it was so satisfying. And then I did the same thing in college, the winter leading into my final year of running. I was going to bed early. 
And then the same thing, the two times post-collegiately, the sleep was probably that biggest X factor. Hmm. And one race in particular, your first breakthrough race. Tell me about that race specifically. First breakthrough race was was high school, my senior year, indoor conference in the mile. I had been working all off season at consistency. I'd been playing basketball, so I did no speed workouts all off season. I relied on basketball, the ladder drills, the agility, the the plyo to be my amplifier of my running. And I just ran three to six miles as many times per week as I could. And then I lifted a few times per week and I got all the way to track and I felt pretty good, but we do a one mile time trial on the first day of practice every year. And I didn't run any faster than I'd ever run before. And I thought, this is weird. I ran the same time, but I felt different doing it. It It's hard to explain. I never was dying, but I was kind of limited. And then we had like six weeks of training until indoor conference. And it just sharpened down in a way I'd never been able to before because there'd never been anything to sharpen before. And I got to this indoor conference meet and it's small potatoes by everyone else's standards, but it's the breaking right number one of the year so far as a runner. Uh, our in our conference was a pretty strong conference and we had a, a strong tradition of people winning indoor and outdoor conference. So indoor was an indicator of who was going to do well outdoor. And we'd had a bunch of returning studs um, who were like the second tier studs and the top had all graduated. We'd had some guys run 416, 418, 920, 930 in the two mile, you know, fast times and they were gone. We had a bunch of people in the 420s returning and 940s returning. So it was all stacking up to see who was going to be the top dog. And I had run 452 the year prior. But I knew I was better than that. And I'd run like 448 indoor in my debut this year. And I just knew no one's thinking about me whatsoever. But even though it says 448 is who I am, I know I'm not that. I just don't know how high up it goes. And the race started out and one person blasted off and everyone else sat in the pack. And this was an indoor 160 meter track. So 10 laps to the mile, 10 like 0.1 or whatever it is to the mile. And it got to the point where we couldn't see him. He was on the other side of the track and everyone just calmly sat for three or four laps. And then the top dog started getting antsy and just every lap got like a half second faster. And I sat on the back of the, there were like five top dogs. And I decided I don't belong anywhere higher than them, but I want to be the next person in line after them. And just sat on their shoulder, waiting for the racing to start and waiting for the racing to start and waiting for the racing to start. And I didn't realize, but the racing had started. I was still just able to hang on without feeling like I was hanging on. And, and finally, we start seeing the guy in the distance and now there's four laps to go and now there's three laps to go. And suddenly I realized, I think I'm one of these guys this year. Like In that moment, it hit and I just went around and moved to the front and then blasted the last lap and a half as hard as I could. And I won the indoor mile conference championship with a huge PR and it just set the tone for the year. But in that four minutes and whatever, 38 or four minutes and 40 seconds of work, it was like two and a half, three minutes of waiting to find out, was I any different? Yeah. And then like 20 seconds of struggling with that grappling with that confidence issue and then like 30 seconds of just accepting it that I'm different now. But it was all like those four minutes contained so much thinking, just waiting to find out, am I different? And then you found out, yes, you're different. I love that. It actually highlights one of the major talking points that I want to make with breakthroughs is exactly what you just outlined. So um, you actually walked me into one of my first points 
Um, which you didn't even know it. All right. Let's hear it. So that's that track. Nope. So, well, and, and my first breakthrough is something very similar um, in high school, but it was freshman year. And what did it really have to do with? It had to do with just, well, probably being a freshman and continuing to show up. But um, the first two meets in cross country, I ran 1843 and then 1823. And then the Green Bay City meet comes around. I run 1704. And take third in the city as a freshman. And what was different about jump. what I had that was a big jump, yeah. And then I stayed in the mid to low seventeens the remainder of the year. Um and it's almost too young to have a, a case study then, right? Like as you get to your senior year, it's a little bit different because you're more developed and mature. Like you're gonna get free speed because you're like growing at some point, right? And like any stimulus is gonna right. cause improvement. Um, but the one that I can, uh, credit later on in my, uh, high school career would be senior indoor track as well. Um, where I was injured with a stress fracture in cross country and I didn't have the winter of training I wanted, but I learned about cross training for the first time. And I was in the pool every day and I was doing things instead of running, felt like I had no speed whatsoever because I'd only been running a month. But I had layered it after cross training. We went down to the indoor Oshkosh meet. It has like 52 teams. I think there were eight heats of the mile, maybe something ridiculous. It's just that it's an absurdly large indoor high school meet. And I got seated in the second heat because I had run 445 in my 133 meter track mile the, the week earlier. 133 meters. 133. Yeah. Ooh. I ran the two mile there one year and it was 20. Sorry, tight 20. turns. It was horrible. Anyways, and here I am in the slow heat, we'll call it, of where I thought I should be in the fast heat. And I went and ran away with it and ran 431.0. And I beat everybody in the fast heat as well. And I took home the win out of the second heat of like I ran alone and won. And and that was that was truly a breakthrough out of absolutely nowhere. I didn't feel necessarily super efficient. I had an oversped train a ton. It really didn't line up, but Oversped. I like that term. <laughs> Did I say Past over speed train? Speed train. I like it. <laughs> is that is that I had, oversped I had an oversped. <laughs> oversped train. Anyways, but what I had done is I had at least worked on some sort of capacity via cross training. And I thought I'd run in the four forties that day. And I thought, and you know, and so what I want to get at with the first point, and I've had many other breakthroughs since then, but we don't need to spend too much time on that. Um is these breakthroughs from athletes, even this weekend, like the ones, I don't know about your athlete that you outlined, but like, let's say Hannah and Augie, the two that I brought up, like Hannah hasn't said she's felt particularly fast. Hannah feels yeah. like she can't reach top speed all the time. She's like, I don't, I don't necessarily feel sharp, but what has Hannah done? Hannah doubles twice a week now. She has an afternoon run twice a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays. She's a six day a week runner with two doubles. She's putting in this non-sexy time constantly and her floor has gotten so much higher than she realizes that when it's time to sink your teeth into something, so many bricks have been laid, right? That when you need to find something you didn't know was there, it's there. And she did just like you outlined with your high school track season, you weren't doing anything too fancy. You were showing up and running every day. You were laying pavement and didn't even know how high that building was going to be built yet. And you don't know until suddenly it happens. 
And for Hannah, for sure, like it's like, well, look at her volume recently. Look at just the time put in. And Augie the same way. We haven't done anything sharpening. He's running on the Afton State Park trails in the snow, running slow two-hour long runs, you know, getting nowhere by any other standard. But yet when it's time to go, like they've sat in that stay power work, the time on feet work. And as non-sexy as that is, that still allows your building to be built higher than you knew it could be. And so like the flash isn't a part of either of their programs and probably not the athlete you coach as well. It's like all this non-sexy work, the money put in the bank, the bricks being laid, it sets you up, man. It's not like you need to go rip mile repeats every week to go break through. You need to show up. And so, sort of what you did, you trained in the offseason for the first time your senior year, right? Wasn't that your first offseason of like putting in work? First one. Right. And nothing too innovative, but you showed up and eventually led to some breakthroughs, right? And I think that's the biggest common theme. It's like putting your shoes on and showing up, maybe asking for a little more work of yourself than you've done in the past, but nothing is sexy about it. What I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to look at the difference of raising your ceiling versus raising your floor. 100%. What I mean by that is like, how high can you spike your speed or what is the highest intensity you can maintain versus what's the highest level you can sit at comfortably? Right. And we often think that when we need to get fast, we need to spike our intensity and our speed and then our ceiling rises. And that's how you sharpen at the end of a track season. That's how you qualify for nationals. That's how that works. But coming into the season with your floor notably higher, that's breakthrough territory because then you can build from there. Raising your ceiling doesn't raise your floor necessarily, and you can't necessarily build from there. You can pop a race or two, but there's a difference between popping a race and breaking through where this is now your baseline. And so I take a look at Andy Boudreaux with his training. When we last year did a series on the different types of training setups you can have, and we got done with the nine-day schedule, and he messaged me and he said, Racken, I think you described me. I think I need an, I want to try a nine-day schedule. I said, fantastic, let's test it out. And we haven't looked back since. And what he did with his nine-day is he didn't use it to get more in. He used it to get more time between quality efforts. Sure. We kept our schedule all off-season. We had a threshold workout, we had a leg builder workout, and we had a long run. Those were our three quality sessions in a nine-day program. That doesn't sound like the training of someone who's about to, on paper, erupt. You can do that in the seven days just fine. And every other long run was more quality. It wasn't every long run. So that's a seven-day program of quality. Why did bumping it to nine days precipitate a breakthrough race? There's, there's a lot of reasons you can go to, but he was available. This was our longest string of uninterrupted training we've ever had together. It was something like 17 weeks straight of just not really missing. I think he had four. He highlights on his training plan in yellow, I believe, when he misses a day or alters a day. I think he had four, maybe five in 17 weeks. That's why he broke through. He couldn't look at any one day and be like, man, I am a sexy runner. But we looked back and said, that is a sexy looking training plan. 17 uninterrupted weeks, like the world is yours. We can build anywhere we want from here. It's interesting too about less frequent quality stimulus. Really, the cadence of the quality is actually stretched out 
yet that leads to improvement because yeah. of availability. Like, what does that mean, you guys listening? Like, more recovery runs in between? Like, more non-sexy stuff in between? The stuff that doesn't get noticed on the highlight reels? Like, guess what? In that nine-day cycle now, you have an extra just low-grade work in between the uh, highlight points. Like, so you're telling me I did more easy work, but my top end still improved. I did less, in quotes, hard work, less frequently, yet my ceiling improved. I think the common denominator is the floor. I think it is. I think the floor is a must. When the floor rises, everything else will follow. Who has, like, you look at guys in in any sport, but, like, the ones who never have a bad day, in quotes. Lauren Weeks, who we talked to two weeks ago. It's like, well, a bad day. They might have had a bad day. They might have went out there and felt like absolute dog crap and had the flu that week and whatever. But because they've just showed up and showed up and showed up, their bad day looks like a good day to you still because they just lost less percentage of their of their capabilities. The people with the biggest floors have less bad days. And when you have less bad days, guess what happens? You have more really good days. And then the breakthroughs follow that. So like, just cool. You outline the floor part. I think it's very important. Yeah. And it was, it was fascinating watching his because I'm not on here advocating a nine day schedule. Right. I think a nine day schedule is really, really useful to those people that it's useful for. It's not a one size fits all approach, but what it does is it allows you to do other things. And what Andy did with his time is he focused on the piddly stuff. He worked on his hips, his glutes, his calves, his Achilles area. He worked on and rounding out his foundation because what we kept running into is that he could pop a workout really well. You know, he he races with Augie a lot. He races with Shane a lot. And he'll mm, do yep. well against them in some races or in, in some workouts. But over the course of a season, they would just pull away from him. Because he would make it five or six or seven weeks and miss two. Make it nine weeks and miss four. Like it, there was always something breaking down in his chain. And he took his extra days in that nine-day schedule to spend the time working on those areas, stress them a little bit, and they'd still have time to recover before the next effort. So again, on paper, it didn't look like he should be improving the way he did, but there's a reason for it. But it comes with a cost. Prior to Jacksonville last year, we had a series of tests we did. We did a six-mile tempo slash time trial. We did the incline, the Manitou incline. He lives out in Colorado. And then we did an OCR sim. Well, we skipped the six-mile uh, time trial because it wasn't going to tell us anything good. We hadn't been working flat. He sometimes has some knee pain when he runs monotonous uh, like metronome strides on the flat, something we're trying to work on, but it's not fixed. So we thought, why even give us a bad indicator? We went right to the incline. And you know what he did? He went slower than last year, hmm. like a minute and a half slower. And we're looking at this thinking, oh, this sucks. <laughs> when was this? This was three weeks ago. Mm. Put in 17 weeks uninterrupted, we're a year further in your training life, and you're 90 seconds slower on the incline. And and it just, I was trying to, I was like, did you pace it poorly? He's like, no, I went out, I ran the same strategy as last time. I finished strong. I thought I was doing well. It just, it was so uncomfortable up front and I pushed through it and I pushed through it. And so then we pulled up his Strava on a, on a, on a video call today or not today, but on a video call that day, we pulled up his Strava and we looked at the segments up there. And he lost all the time in the first third of it. And then he PR'd in the middle and end sections. And then we got to breathe a sigh of relief. Like, okay, you're not worse. You just can't handle intensity right now. It was a system shock to you. But when you were shocked with that in your system, you were able to still dig into it and keep working. 
So we're going to be okay. And he said, I think I need to feel that a little more. So for the last three weeks, we added a little bit more intensity. We did a few OCR 400s. He did an OCR sim with Shane, I believe. And then we did one more transition workout, got into some spice, but just doses of it. And then he came out and on race day, he was comfortable again, but he had that crust on the edge of the sandwich. Mm -hmm. They had to get broken through because of the training. The old crust on the end of the sandwich analogy. This sounds very familiar to something, oh, I don't know, my esteemed co-host Bracken Crocker said after our training weekend a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, I need a little more of that after our track session. Yep. And then you go ahead, because you'd been doing a lot of threshold stuff, staying comfortable, running well, meaning running smooth, not reaching too much for speed. And then we had to reach, right? We reached together a bit. Um, I reached in that workout for sure. You reached. And then what happened like even just a week later, you're like, I think your uh, screen name said like, maybe I'm fit or something. And it might be fast now. Might be fast now, right? Like all of a sudden. And what you're outlining is that exact scenario. It's like, wait, 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 attack. Because when you build, you know, the threshold work and just the easy runs and the time on feet in like three weeks, folks, you can go from like, I feel kind of slow. Yeah, I can run forever, but like I feel slow. In a three weeks time, you can go from I feel slow to like, watch out, I'm going to rip your head off. And it's going to seem to come out of nowhere. As soon as you expose yourself to those stings, the just acclimating to the intensity of maybe faster turnover work and race pace type stuff, it doesn't take very long when it's built on that foundation. I mean, you were a week removed from our time together being like, dang, like that might have that might have shook yeah. the cage a little bit and I'm feeling good. And so people often, and I fall in the trap too once in a while, like I just want to let myself run fast and I'll go rip 400s for no reason. And then they might end up popping a little bit when they shouldn't. But anyways, point being is like, it always feels a little worse than you believe it should feel. But as soon as you build some speed on top of a real foundation, like, I mean, the snap of a finger, it can come around. And you just outline that is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. And the question we always have to ask ourselves is, so what next? And if you're, if you're feeling slow in training, strong, but slow. So what next? Okay. I can add in some speed here. We have something to work with and I can dose it however I want. If you're feeling crazy fast and like you're on the brink of tipping over and you know, you don't have much staying power. So what now? So what next? Having to remove speed from your plan is one of the most depressing things ever. Having to take extra time knowing <laughs> so is <laughs> I can't go anywhere from here. That's not a breakthrough. That means you popped. You, you you popped a race or two or three, and now you have to come back down to earth. That's not what we're talking about. Breakthroughs are when you you get to the next level of stable ground. When I was out in Colorado, Kirk, this was the fourth time I broke through. And it was a it was a faulty breakthrough. I had some of the signs that a breakthrough is coming. I started doing things that I didn't used to be able to do in workouts later in the workout. So for example, going back to the Manitou incline, when I first got out there, the first, <coughs> the first day getting there, I think I ran 2930 up the incline. Very first day we got out there, my brother and I ran up it for time. Got to the point where I could semi comfortably, but working hard, go in the mid 27s put in a big winter of work, big spring of work. And I started doing these, these split tempo workouts or these combo workouts where I would do three to four by mile at like 10 K pace or faster or six by thousand, come home, grab a water bottle, drive over to the incline and then tempo the incline. 
and I was getting down to 24 mid, 23 mid, mm-hmm. coming off of a six by thousand workout. And I was just seeing things like, this can't lie. I have fitness coming, but I made a mistake that off season, Kirk. And I leaned into that. I started trying to PR workouts. I started PRing them on accident. The first time I ran 25 flat coming off of an interval workout, I got to the bottom invigorated. And by the time I got down to 23.30, I was toast because I wasn't tempoing it anymore. I was trying to PR. And I got to that first race of the year, and I've talked about this before, but I had this conversation with Lisa, and I said, listen, I know everyone's good. And I know there's probably like 10 people at this race who can all beat me pretty handily, but I just can't see three of them all putting it together on the same day. I'm too fit. I'm too consistent right now. I knew my breakthrough had happened, but I also had this dread thinking, so now what? I have taken these workouts, all of them to the absolute limit. I cannot do anything more on these. The only thing I can do from here is hang on or back off. And so my breakthrough happened. Had a great race, just like I knew I should be able to do. And that was the last good race of my year. Yeah, there was injury. There were some other things, but I knew. Deep down, I knew. So then what? There wasn't a good answer waiting. And that's one key about breaking through is if you're going to break through either way, you don't want to push too far into it. You want to leave yourself room for improvement so that you can ask yourself, all right, so now what? Now where do I go to improve? And it doesn't mean less like, it doesn't mean like you doing okay over there. <laughs> I'm I'm draining, Kirk. Oh, I'm draining. You're, you're pushing through. Um, I distracted myself. Well, I, I guess one of the points that it popped in my head when you were talking, like also like so. Let's say you've done a lot of non sexy work and and you're ready to like feel the sting again, and your body's gonna pop really quick. It will, especially if you've put in all the non sexy work. You know, Hannah training for a for a backyard ultra, you know, being out there on foot all the time with so much non-sexy work, right? So much non-sexy work. And then you sharpen a little and you feel good. And then you think that's the ticket to your breakthrough. Like it's the, it's the sharp stuff I just did. Like, look at that, that workout, those thousand meter reps at almost race pace. That was it. That was the one wrong. That wasn't the one that has very little to do with it. You don't forget about what got you there. Before the breakthrough happened, you keep your threshold work layered and you don't jump ship and then move to the new sexy stuff that got you to your breakthrough. You find time to still keep on the things that set you up and raised your floor along the way. Do you want to go run fast and go hit three minute repeats with 90 seconds jog recovery and feel really good about it? Or should you really go and hit 45 minutes of a progression threshold run on the roads? Because that's what got you there. Probably should find room for that 45-minute progressive threshold run versus going and feeling good and running fast every single week or every single quality session. And it's easy to forget. And I'm not saying you did forget that year because I remember you had a foot thing pop up and then you had – so like you were dealing with a few things that season, if I'm not mistaken. But like it's so easy then when a breakthrough happens to be like, this is why. Like the last year and a half of your life is why. Like you just happen to do some workouts to help you access, you know, your ceiling now. That's it. And so anyways, it's just, you don't want to forget about all the foundation that got you there first, which people often do. It's our human nature. I mean, we haven't had a bad analogy in a while, Kirk. So I'm, I'm going to lean into one right here. This is the running equivalent of someone making their breakthrough in Hollywood. 
or in the music industry, where they toil away with their manager and their loyal spouse and their bandmates all around them for months and years, and then they get a hit. Something cracks into the charts, something gets circulated on the radio, and they make it. Then they have money coming in, and they have women throwing themselves at them, and sponsors, and greasy managers coming up to them. And the very first thing they do, just like the movie Rockstar, is they believe their own hype and say, this is who I am now, and this is what I need. And they they go all into the lifestyle. And the next thing you know, you've betrayed your manager, you've cheated on your wife, you've fired your bandmates or they've quit, and now you're surrounded by fast friends. People who showed up real quick and easy and are going to leave the same way. And pretty soon you're you're broke. You're you're not able to keep the lifestyle going anymore, and you can't make good music anymore. It's the natural tendency whenever people get famous, and we do the same thing whenever we have running success. We break through, and immediately we're excited to do the next type of thing that now we've earned, and we yeah. forgot about all the little people who got us here in the first place. You can't get rid of the little people. You have to keep them involved but in the new version of life. I like that analogy. That's not a bad analogy. That's a good analogy. I don't know. Better than the bread crust. I'm on Dayquil right now. Who knows <laughs> what's happening? Better than the bread crust. Dayquil is about as extreme as it gets for me, Kirk. Dude, you're partying hard over there. Um, and the thing about a breakthrough, like can you predict a breakthrough, right? Do I know? Like sometimes I'm like, I'm ready to run fast. Even if I have a bad day, I'm going to PR, for example. I've had periods of training where I'm like, Okay, I know this is for sure the best like version of me I've had in a while, so I expect big things. Um, but it always isn't the case. It isn't always the case um, in the sense where RPE or perceived effort. Let's say you go out and you do three by two miles, which is a workout I've been kind of into lately for my athletes. Like you do three by two miles with eight hundred meter recovery or something. And then you do that workout again in six weeks and your times are roughly the same. But the how controlled did you feel during it? Oh, your heart rate average was four beats per minute lower and it felt a bit more comfortable. You weren't reaching in the middle of rep two. You only had to reach at the end of rep three. Like you might look at that on paper and say like, that doesn't predict anything. But in fact, like those little things, like what if you did sink your teeth into that workout then? Once you got into rep three and realized, oh my God, my body's still working well, you could have dropped the hammer. What would have happened? Well, we don't know because we haven't showed up to a race yet. You could do a cycle of, let's say, 20 by a quarter mile with 60 seconds rest, very standard, and you average a half a second faster. That's it. On paper, you're running 71s, but it was 71 high last time and it's 71 low this time. And you finished without murdering yourself to do so. And you have all these little things that don't seem big, but gosh, those are big things. Because when you finish a workout invigorated and you finish a workout feeling you were in control versus hanging on, sometimes we progress through those type of progressions in our training. Wow, running 70s felt very uncomfortable, and now it felt fairly smooth. Well, like, when you have the opportunity to race next, and now it's time... Suddenly you're like, whoa, I was 10 seconds per mile faster in my 5K and I PR'd by 30 seconds. That would be a breakthrough. That's a huge breakthrough. And you look back at your workouts and you're like, well, nothing jumps off the paper at me. But when you start splitting hairs and you start thinking about progression and RPE and the ease in which these workouts are performed and fractions of seconds and what if I did push harder today? Or remember I did that workout on little sleep and I still hit my old metrics. 
I think those things go way, way further. Very few times in training. Is it like I did mile repeats at seven 30 last time. And now I did them at six 45 and I am going to break through like, Nope, you don't see things like that happen in training. It's those micro performance enhancers. You understand what I'm saying? It often isn't glaring. Like just because For your sure. metrics on paper aren't jumping off at you doesn't mean you're not ready. It's what I, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's rarely about hitting huge workouts. Hitting a workout with the crazy more pace, a crazy amount of pace compared to what you used to, that's a sharpening thing. Correct. That's when you know I'm about to hit my ceiling. I think I'm I think I'm ready to PR or I'm ready to take a few tenths off from what I did a few weeks ago. But it's when you finish workouts invigorated week in after week out. That's the sign. When I when I look back to when I was training in groups with people, mostly college. The guys who would finish a 10 by 1,000 workout and decide to, to add on some 200s at the end, those are the guys I knew were about to have a monster year because they had the, ch- the choice. You get done with 10 by 1,000 and you are either ready to be done or you're not. And you don't really have a say in the matter. The guys who'd finish up with, uh, let's say, 20 by 400, be like, coach, we're going to get another set of four in. I'd look at them and be like, my goodness, we are not the same. You are on a different plane than I am of existence right now. The people who would do a six mile tempo, finish it up by negative splitting all the way down rather than hanging on, feel calm and confident, and then go to the track and rip six to eight by 200. When you're getting done with workouts and you have things left in the tank, even if the workout itself didn't feel particularly great, when you recover quickly and you're ready for more, that's a signal. That's a signal that you're about to have a breakthrough. When you're running the same volume weeks, they're feeling the same, you're running the same pace, you're kind of slogging your way through it, but at the end of each week, you're ready to just do it again. Yeah. Those are those signs that something big is coming your way. Speaking of like holding back in workouts or finishing strong or with your best rep and still like still feeling pretty invigorated, uh, have you been watching some of the, uh, I don't know if it's track access or what the name of the YouTube account is, but they're going to these big programs and just like following along like... Mike Smith and Northern Arizona, like their indoor track workouts. Have you seen some of this stuff on YouTube? No, I haven't been going down the track route recently. Oh, that's all I'm doing. I'm so giddy for the track right now. And the snow melted by us, so the track's open as of today. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Um, but anyways, Mike Smith, I never really understood the Mike Smith thing because I never really got to know him or watch his coaching. And he's renowned as one of the best in in the country for sure on the collegiate level. And it's so interesting how... It's like holding them back, holding them back, holding them back. Literally his job is holding them back. You know what? And then, and then he'll defer. We're going to do anywhere between four and eight by a mile today at threshold. That's what we're doing today. And then you're going to rip some two fifties to finish and it'll be, he'll be four in. What do you think, man? You want another one? You thinking another one? Do you want to, he's diverting to the athlete. And if there's any hesitation, if there's any, okay, you're out, Nico, you're still in. And then he's going, you look like you're reaching for it. I'm pulling you. Like, it's so interesting, but all he's doing is holding back, holding back. And I know these are the best kids in the world, or at least in the country, and they're working with an extreme amount of talent. But, like, he's talking about one hero workout every, like, three weeks with these guys. Where Okay, you can go to the well today. Like, what? All he's doing is holding them back. And I just think that's very interesting when one of the best training programs in the, the collegiate scene, it's really about, like, hey, man, temper your enthusiasm so you can show up tomorrow. The temper again, so we we got another workout in two days. It's just like stay available, and I just think it's so easy to play a hero and we glorify that. 
and and you need to at times. Of course, you need to go and go to the well and feel the sting like your athlete felt on the Manitou incline and realize, hey, I need more of that. But really, it's just putting on your Hoka Clifton's, your big pillows, and going and plodding along for your recovery run. Like most of breakthroughs are made mostly that way. They are. And and it's good to remember that there's nothing you can do in two or three weeks that will trump what you can do in six or eight. There's just not. There's nothing incredible you can do right now that's worth risking your next one. Something I repeat a lot with athletes I work with is that there is no one workout on this schedule that is worth all the other ones. So never make one a bigger priority than getting the next four done. We just have to keep that moving because the greatest thing you can look back on is calm seas, a training plan that does not have peaks and valleys on it. If you can look back and see double digit clean weeks on your calendar, you know, you've earned it. It almost doesn't matter what your work was because you're working. If you have a training plan, there's work on it, right? If you have a running calendar, I trust that there's something on there worth doing. And if you can stack eight, 10, 12 weeks of almost anything, you're ready. It's getting those done and then finding a way to test it. That's the, that's the trick. That's the game here. Well, right. And that's sort of the last part of this conversation before we look at wrapping up here is like, um, you have to give yourself the opportunity. And that means sometimes you have to put yourself in situations that make you nervous. You have to enter the race. You have to go do the pro wave at a U.S. national series or go to your first high rocks and assert yourself early in a race. And it, it ends up working out. I think the next key to breakthroughs is you need to put yourself in a position to do great things. And that doesn't mean put yourself in a position to do great things when your training hasn't warranted it. It means, hey, I've been consistent. I feel good about what I've done. Like I'm going to enter the shamrock shuffle on March 17th and I'm going out 10 seconds a mile faster than I ever have before because it just seems like the right thing, the right place to risk it. And so whatever that is to you, like you need to, you need to give you now put yourself in a position to do so. And so I think that's the last part of it is okay. My training, even though I don't even, I can't even see how good, or if I've improved, I know I've been showing up and 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 I guarantee then the next step is just showing up to races and giving yourself the opportunity, um, which duh, but like it sometimes takes that, that external circumstance to access the next level. It just does. It's almost like an out of body experience when you start digging with a mile left in your race and you're running something you never even thought possible and you're hanging on because there's magic there. And so you got to show up to magic situ scenarios. I, well, none of my breakthroughs come on like a Tuesday morning, like a, on my own generally, like I can have a good workout, but my breakthroughs happen with that X factor to an event. And I don't know about you, but then put yourself in the positions to break through. Yeah. It's the whole, you can't win if you don't play mindset. Yeah. Sometimes in the middle of a training block, and if you've heard me talk ever on here, you know that this is me. I start getting fit and I start getting antsy. I got to use this. I got to use this. I got to go try something. The other, the other way that this sometimes works is that you get lulled into a sense of security by a long training block. You go eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. And now I like my training schedule, but I've been away from racing for so long. It's kind of scary. I think I'm just going to, you know, 12 weeks is good. Let's make it 14. Sometimes you have to be yanked out of that. You can't win if you don't play. Can't win if you don't play. Do you notice I just went dark on you here? Yeah, I was worried we lost it. <laughs> no, we didn't lose it. My, uh, I think I unplugged my my computer on accident and I lost the lighting. We'll, we'll make this work. Um, 
And then I think just to put like a bow tie on it all, um, if anything, or just to like simplify it, like keep showing up. Breakthroughs will 100% happen. You just need to keep doing the work and keep showing up and being smart about it and doing all the non-sexy things and following a process I think is important. Like throwing random darts at the, at the board being like, what workout sounds fun this week and what down that week? Like maybe you'll get there that way, but it's not quite as likely. So having a process to follow to where running public training plans can do you a lot of good. Um, and that's it. Then it happens. It eventually, it, it happens. That's, it's that simple. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Got it. We made it. Um, how do you want to wrap this thing? Ladies and gentlemen, if you are at all interested in the concept of threshold training, or you think you might be, go check out the website, sign up for the, for the four week course, meet with me every Wednesday for four weeks from uh, March 20th through April 10th. And let's, let's go down this rabbit hole together. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be worth your while, no matter what your level of understanding is. We are going to be just scientific enough early on to really lay the groundwork for why threshold is used by the pros. And then we're going to be very, very practical and logical from that point on. So there is no level of pre-knowledge needed to attend this course. And likewise, if you're already a master in this area, this will be a very good refresher and you're going to hear some things that'll round out your knowledge because this will come from a running and an OCR hybrid point of view. And most of us are one or the other. So there's really no one that's not a candidate for this. Go check it out and join us for a month long bit of threshold fun. I think it's going to be great. And if you've been in pre-contemplation or contemplation with the running public training plans, um, now's a great time. Things are ramping up this part of the year. We're giving you a little cuteness and spice and fanciness some of these weeks on the training plans. I was combing through some of the prescription. And I was like, oh, God. I was like, kept nodding my head. I'm like, yeah, this is good stuff. Yeah, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. Like, it's 1999. It's pretty much free. Uh, so go on the, the website. Look at the running public training plans as well. Give it a try for a month. If you don't like it, just hit cancel. That simple. But night school is the priority, right, Bracken? Let's pump those numbers up for Bracken. This is his baby. That's right. Let's make Bracken feel real good about himself. I want to see everyone there. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. We got another great interview, uh, interview for you coming up later this week. Till next time. If anything resonated with you on today's episode and you're curious about taking your training to the next level, check out therunningpublic.com where we have a training plan to fit your needs.